Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, welcome. Have you ever looked for a group of guys and thought, I'd like to have some relatable, fun, authentic Christian dads to hang out with? Well, this is that group. We value progress, not perfection. We're here to help, here to serve. We are the spiritual leaders of our families, and we're that leader that our families need. So we've got a special guest today with us. We've got Dr. Brian Gosser. So, so excited to have you. Thank God for the people that, for our freedom is not free. I was in the military on active duty for four years. My son is an active duty Marine. And I, I, I would say to you that we are so grateful. We sleep better at night because these young men and women are doing their thing. They're protecting us and we take them for granted all the time. So shout out to all you military families or military personnel out there because you are appreciated. I am so grateful for my time on active duty because it taught me things and an appreciation for what they do and some of the finest people I've ever met and had the privilege to take care of. So Thank yeah, you, a- absolutely. Yeah, with my army background and my dad and grandpas and you know yeah. military background, I'm like, oh my gosh! Like, not only do you get to see your son, and yeah. I'm on the receiving end thinking about when my parents came to, to see me after basic training and having that distance and separation and having that growth, extreme growth through that. Yeah. You know, it was only nine weeks, I think, but man, did things change in that nine weeks. The military does absolutely change people. So I... A year ago, uh, this time, uh, my son was on the crucible, which for any of you Marine boot camp people out there, Marines, you'll know the crucible is the hardest they do. Uh, It's the hardest week of basic training. Uh, They pound on you continuously, very little sleep, very little, and it's going, going, going for 60 hours. I think It's, it's pretty impressive what they do. Uh, because they want to know that they have mentally, physically, and emotionally what it takes to be a Marine. And once they're done with the crucible, that's that's kind of their official graduation. They it's not well, not the official, but it's if you pass that, you're you're a Marine. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, so perfect. Well, we've we've got topic that uh, I think intrigues every twelve year old boy out in America. <laughs> if if not, you know, every every guy in America may have been captivated by these three things and. Uh, no matter what age, uh, these are three three things that can really catch you, uh, each one individually or all three at the same time. So money, sex, and power. Right. Well, you know, it, it's honestly, Dan, it's three of my favorite subjects. You know, I, I love money and uh, sex is a wonderful thing. It's a, a God-given gift. And, you know, who, who doesn't like power? The thing about these three things is they're the three biggest stumbling blocks uh, to following God and and the Christian walk. And as Christian dads, we want to be good examples for our children. And these are three things that Jesus said probably the most about in the Bible. You know, he's always talking about the rich people. He's always talking about adulterers and, and sexual sin and, and things like that. Uh, and he's, he's always attacking those that are abusing power, like the Pharisees. You know, just, just to give you a little taste, you know, so 
when we think about why is it that God spends so much time, and he, he spent 33 years on this earth uh, in, in the human form, Jesus did. Three of those years were public ministry. And of all the things that we have recorded of what he said, there's so many things about those three topics. And it's because those are the three biggest stumble, stumbling blocks that keep us from following. You know, they, they're the things that we get tripped up by talk about these podcasts, I'd really like to kind of divide it up because there's so much to talk about for all three of them that I thought maybe today we would just hit the first one. We'd talk about money. Yeah. yeah. That's enough to spend several hours on. We won't do that, of course. But And, and then I'd like to do like a subsequent podcast on, on the sex and the power because there's, there's just so much here that we need to ponder. We need to take to prayer as dads, because when we're talking about, talking about forming and fashioning our children, these are the areas we really need to bolster them up. You know, we've talked about discipline in the past. We've talked about protecting them and being humble leaders. Well, you know, when we talk about the subject matter of our humble leadership, money, sex, and power are, are the three big topics. Interestingly, as, as we pray about these things, what are the remedies for these? And, and this is just to kind of wet your whistle a little bit. When we think about what are the remedies for money, sex, and power, it, it's basically the three promises or renunciations of the religi- religious life, poverty, chastity, and obedience. I mean, make it sound so it, sexy. Oh, I'm telling you. you know, it's, <laughs> we try, you know, and we're trying to lure people in here. But I think the religious communities have it right, you know, because they've identified what the three big struggles are for human beings. And let's, let's get it right out on the table right away. Let's accept poverty, try and live a life of poverty. Of course, we want to live a life of chastity no matter what our state in life is. Chastity is just really the proper use of our sexuality and obedience. You know, it's, it's, if we're going to say that, God, that Jesus is Lord and we really want to be followers of Christ, we have to obey. I mean, it's it, it's what we expect from our children. What what parent would say, ah, just do whatever you want. You know, this is what I want you to do, but you really don't have to do it. No, of course, it's it's about obeying, you know, and following through and accepting the power, you know, the leadership that we have in, in, around us, you know, whether it be from our bosses or the proper authorities in our lives, like the police, like the, the judicial system, you know, we may not agree with everything. And, and there's a lot of hot button issues right now with police and, you know, the law and all that, but it doesn't, doesn't matter if we agree or not, they are an authority. You know, if my boss, I, my boss, my wife, you know, says, uh, you know, this, you're going to do this. Well, you know, if I, if I had an average job and I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, guess what? You're fired. You're not going to work here. You know, this right. is what I expect from you. I, it, my facts don't care about your feelings, and, that, and that's the way it is. So obedience and, and uh, you know, poverty, chastity, and obedience are really the three remedies for those three things. So just to wet your whistle, that, that's what the next uh, you know, few hours together are going to encompass. But today we wanted to talk about money. Yeah, we'll, we'll chop it up a little bit, and you brought up obedience. We wouldn't be talking today if it wasn't for obedience. You know, I had decided I absolutely was never doing a podcast because it's too much work. And frankly, it is a lot of work. And God says, hey, you're going to do the Christian Dad podcast. And I'm like, who am I to say no to that? I'll accept the challenge and uh, love the fact that I get to talk to guys like you so I can learn and implement and, you know, just get to be a better Christian dad. So it's a nice accountability tool in my life. And then I get to share these conversations with other men, which then can help them. And then they can continue to share and create that ripple effect. So let's dive, let's dive into money. Like 
Did you ever have a thought about money that was just so wrong and then you a revelation came to you that you're like, huh, can't believe I bought into that? Yeah. In fact, I was thinking just recently, Dan Luigs pays me so much to do this podcast <laughs> that I probably can retire from my medical practice because I'm a medical doctor delivering babies and just go into podcasts full time from him because it's so enriching to my bank account. Uh, yes, that I, would definitely be a it, fallacy. <laughs> with each podcast I do, I, I ask for an exponential amount more to be paid. So my first one, I got paid X amount of dollars. Then I got paid 10 times more. Now I'm getting paid 100 times more what I got paid for that first one. Um, yes, so it, yes. zero like, folks for those on audio. That was a... Our budget, if somebody wants to give us a bunch of money to pay the guests, I'll I'll see to it that it gets dispersed to you know, the other guests, the other spe more special guests. You know, one thing I thought about too, before we really kind of dive into this, how about if we start with a prayer with our dads? Because, you know, th this is a topic that, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to talk about, you know, our finances. It's something we hold very dear. We're providers and we need to really get some guidance from, from God. And I, I don't speak as an expert here. I'm just another dad trying to make do with what we have. And all I can share is my own experience and, and what I feel God's telling me through prayer. But why don't we start with a prayer? Yeah, let's do. You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for how you teach us and how you want to guide us. We want to ask for right order in our lives, whether it be money, whether it be sex, whether it be power. We want to, to know what you want and and we want to be guided by your wisdom because truly you're Lord of our lives. The money that we have, the possessions that we have are all yours. They're gifts from you and we want to use them for your glory and not ours. So we ask for wisdom and, and really ask for a sense of humility so that we can change if, if, if you ask us to change, that we can really place this area under your care and your provision. Give you all the honor for it and, and ask that you be Help us to be good stewards of that which you give us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, Dan, the, the one thing that uh, I, I forgot, you were supposed to, I was going to cue you in on this. You were supposed to ask me how I'm doing. Oh, how, how are you doing, Brian? I, I'm doing better than I deserve, Dan. I'm doing better than I deserve. And, and I say that because that's like a Dave Ramseyism, you know, and if we're talking about money, you know, I, I always appreciate and I, everybody has their own books that they read. I know Dave Ramsey is one of those guys out there that, you know, he's like the Christian money guy, you know, and he talks about a lot of these things. Through, through his probably, program, a lot got revealed to me. So I, yeah. I facilitated a number of those and it was so rewarding to see, especially the couples that suddenly things clicked and their right. lives got better when they, when they enacted some money principles. Right. You know, and I think, I think he has a program. I, I certainly am not endorsing that on this podcast, but you know, there, there are a lot but of, you can. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but, I mean, you know, okay. Dan Lewis recommends this, you know, and I know a lot of financial planners and financial people that, that know much more than I do look to Dave Ramsey, you know, cause he has some basic stuff. I've read some of his books too, and, and found them to be very helpful in terms of how, how do we, how do you eat an elephant in little bites, you know, and, and when you find yourself in a problem when it comes to money, how do you get out of that hole? You know, how do you even begin to get out of that hole? It can be daunting. So he may be a real good resource for a lot of people. You know, of course, I feel it necessary to start with a little joke, okay? Because this is a dad podcast. We have dad jokes. So I thought about this. This is a little story, a brief little snippet about a $1 bill and a $20 bill. I got to read it off my computer screen. Sorry. A $1 bill met a $20 bill and said, hey, where have you been? 
I haven't seen you around here much. The 20 answered, I've been hanging out at the casinos, went on a cruise and did the rounds of the ship back to the United States for a while when I went to a couple of baseball games to the mall, that kind of stuff. How about you? The $1 bill said, you know, same old stuff, church, church, church. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like, you know, we we want our our religion, but we want it real cheap, you know? And then, you know, so when we talk about money, and I thought that was a good segue to start with. You know, it's it's something that we we hold on to it real tightly. And and I think it starts from the time we're kids. You know, we're we're here's your dollar, you know, take your dollar up to the counter and buy what you want. You know, for, for a little kid, your money is your power. You know, you can buy baseball cards, you can yeah. buy and when I was a kid, we used to buy Atari video games. You know, I know I'm dating yep, myself yep. here, but that was just I had to beg my dad to get another Coleco video. on our family, but oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh boy, you're you're old like I am. I remember those in television, ColecoVision, yeah. So, uh, you know, getting these games, you know, and, and we would work hard mowing grass. We would do what we had and we had our money, you know, and we, we locked it up in a little bank or a safe or something. We were taught to really protect that, that it was very valuable. And, and it is, you know, and, and money is something that's you know, we can exchange for other things. In the olden days, they, they didn't have money per se. They would exchange one good for another. You know, I'll, I'll mow or I'll uh, help you plow your field and you give me some of the, you know, some of the crop or whatever. They would exchange goods and services like that. As, as a child, you know, we, we grow up with these perceptions of money. You know, you want to have a lot of it, you know. And so I, I happen to be uh, at one of my, my favorite lunch places, Jimmy John's. Where else but Jimmy John's to find some very profound money advice? Because you know, as, <laughs> as you grow up, you ask yourself, how much money do I really need? You know, how much would be enough that I could really be comfortable you know, because when you're older, it, it changes, you know, it, it's a sense of security. You got your emergency fund that Dave Ramsey talks about, or you got your, you know, you got your bills paid or you don't. I mean, it's, it's, it's a real sense of security, you know, if you're living month to month or not. Uh, and so I'm, I'm at Jimmy John's and, um, and I see this thing on the wall and, and the question it's, it says is how much is enough? It's a story called how much is enough? Bear with me for just a minute while I read this thing to you. An American investment banker was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. This is a great one, by the way. Inside the small boat were several large fin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The Mexican replied, only a little while. The American then asked, well, why didn't he stay out longer and catch more fish? Well, the Mexican said he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. Then the American asked, well, what do you do with the rest of your time? I sleep late, fish a little, play with the children, take siesta with my wife, Maria, stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life. The American scoffed, I'm a Harvard MBA and I could help you. You should spend more time fishing with the proceeds, buy a bigger boat, and with the proceeds from the bigger boat, You could buy several boats. Eventually, you'd have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you would sell directly to the processor, eventually opening up your own cannery. You would control the product, processing, and distribution. You'd need to leave this small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, then LA, and eventually New York City, where you'll run your expanding enterprise. The Mexican fisherman asked, but how long will this take? Americans said, about 15 to 20 years. But what then? The American laughed and said, that's the best part. When the time's right, you'd announce an IPO and sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. You'd make millions. 
Millions, said the fisherman. Then what? The American said, then you'd retire, move to a small coastal fishing village where you'd sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take a siesta with your wife, stroll to the village in the evening, sip wine, and play your guitar with your amigos. And, you know, I read this and, you know, everybody just goes in there for the sandwiches, right? But I, I read this and I think we spend so much of our life trying to achieve something more and it ends up being, it's not really what we wanted in the first place. What we really wanted was what we already had. You know, and so I thought the title of this uh, talk, the, this segment that we would talk about, uh, it's a little edgy here, and I'm, I'm going to change one of the words here, because since it's summertime, we go to the beach a lot. So I thought mm -hmm. I'd call this, quit your beaching, you are already rich. Or <laughs> you're, you're already beach, you know, if you want to say that, okay? You know, when we, we really stop and think about it, we have what we need. God has given us everything. And if we just, we have to rethink and revamp our way of thinking to realize where true wealth lies. You know, I, I recently had a, an opportunity. I, I have a 95-year-old grandmother, uh, and she's lived long enough. She needed a heart valve replacement. And there's, there's a way you can do this uh, with uh, minimally invasive technology where they go through the, the groin Mm -hmm. And balloon open her, her narrowed valve, open it up with a balloon, and then they go through the groin again with a new valve and open it up, and it seats right exactly where the old valve was. It's an hour and a half procedure where before they had to cut the chest open and stop the heart, and it was a big major deal, and long recovery in the hospital right. and rehab afterwards. It took an hour and a half. She went home the next day, and there was no recovery. And she has a new valve in her heart and she's, she's got her energy back. She's 95. She likes to work outside in her yard. But this, this is a lady, my grandfather passed away in 1974. I was only four wow. or five old. She's been a widow for 46 years. She never dated. She never remarried. She was completely and entirely devoted to her children and her grandchildren. In fact, she got a job working up at the school cafeteria because she wanted to see the grandkids. Okay. Nice. She's lived on social security her whole time. She never had a lot of savings. She lives in the same house that they've lived in for 50 or 60 years. This lady who objectively has very little wealth. Mm -hmm. When she had her heart valve replacement surgery for three days ahead of time, the phone was ringing off the hook. There were people from church calling her, telling her they were praying for her. There were her family. There were her friends. And, and this is a lady, when you're 95, you outlived most of your friends. So you have to find younger friends. And the phone was still ringing off the hook. This poor lady didn't, could hardly get a moment of peace and quiet for the three or four days before her surgery because so many people wanted to call and care for her, let them know they were praying for her. And I would say to you, she is one of the most wealthy people I've ever met. She is a gem. She's a doll. I'm, I'm proud to call her my grandmother, you know, and, and she's a faith-filled lady. So, you know, when we really think about what is wealth, we can't look at the bank account necessarily. I mean, certainly there, there's a component of that, but we have to rethink what it is to me, what it means to be really wealthy. That wealth that we get um, is a very much of a distraction. It, I would be remiss if I didn't have at least some kind of Tolkien moment. But there's that one scene in The Hobbit where Thrain, the grandfather of Thor and Oakenshield, is in his big money room. You know, and he's just like, <laughs> oh, like, I mean, this, this guy is like just, he's got money sickness. You know, he's, 
He's so wealthy. They, they've, I mean, they've been harvesting gems and all of this. And, and it's just like, give me a room, you know, that I can fill up with gold, you know? And yet he was sick. He, he, it was so much. It was too much. You know, it was toxic. And, and that's the caution that I think. And then one of the reasons why money is, is one of the three big problems is because we need money. I mean, it's important. It's part of what makes our world go round. But there's only so much that you need. And then, then it becomes toxic. When God gives you more than you need, there's a reason for that. And the reason is you need to give it to somebody. You need to give it away, whether it's to charity, whether it's to some other cause. I mean, he, he gives you enough, like the daily bread. You know, give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't give you your monthly bread. You know, he gives you your daily bread. So if there's extra there that's more than what you need for the day, you got to give it to somebody. There's somebody that you're going to meet, somebody right next to you that you're already right next to that needs what you have, you know, and can we pause on that for a second? Absolutely. So that is a big, big concept. So a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of people as they grew up, I was one of them, you know, grew up in a middle-class family that my family, my parents gave me the impression that we were really, really poor. It didn't look like we were really, really poor, but that was a way of constraining the family budget so that the kids didn't spend the parents' money and blah, blah, blah. And my parents are great savers and different things like that. So a lot of really, really good value. However, um, in that uh, growing up, and I found a lot of other people grew up that way where they took the Bible a little bit out of context, missed a couple of words, understood that maybe rich people are evil, understood that money is evil, or just that concept of if you have too much, uh, you're not going to heaven. And as a kid, for some reason, I was okay with that. Maybe it was comfortable because it was easy to not have money. So, okay, sure. And then through learning and education, friends, the Bible, and I read, oh, there's a little bit in front of that. Money's evil. (laughs) The love of money is the root of all evil. Right. That's from first or second it's from one of the it's from the book of Timothy, one of the Timothy books. Right. Yeah. It talks about money being the root of all evil. Yeah, you know, and there there are extremes here, Dan. You know, and I too grew up in a home where um, you know, my dad had a very average job. My mom chose to stay home as a homemaker while I was little until I was in school. And I, I have one brother who's twelve years younger. So she she was home for a few years. I remember we ate a lot of casseroles. We didn't have a lot of extra stuff. We never went on fancy vacations. Um, I never really had what I thought the other kids at school had, but you know what? We were, we seemed to have a pretty happy life. And the, the, the other extreme is to say that it's more of what I would, I would term the prosperity gospel, you know, and there, there are preachers out there absolutely not much in the Catholic church, but I know like Oral Roberts kind of started it. And, and Joel Osteen today has a church that, you know, if you're following God, he's going to reward you materially that this is, this is how it is. And you can expect material wealth if you're, you know, if you're really mm-hmm. truly following God. And if you're not, you really need to take a look at that because you're not doing it correctly. God's not rewarding you. The, the problem with that, Dan, is we, there's a very subtle perspective on what our relationship is to God. Okay. I think sometimes we tend to view our relationship to God as we're an employee, that I do a service for God and isn't he lucky, you know, and, and he pays me a wage, you know, for right. that service. You know, if I'm doing a really good job, then I should get paid a lot. 
you know, because I'm I'm doing better than this guy over here. I'm ministering and I'm doing I'm pro life and, and I'm having lots of kids, you know, for God. And you know, so he should really really reward me for that. But I think that the subtle perspective is that of employee, and we are not God's employees, nor do we want to be. Because you know what? At the end of the day, employees get fired. Employees are not, you know, if, if I think of, I, I have a medical practice. And while I certainly care for the people at my medical practice that are my employees, they are not my children. They are not going to inherit my entire practice, my entire wealth stream. Everything that I have is not going to them. It's going to my family. And, and that's how God is too. You know, he gives us everything because we're his children. And children, I mean, if, if I were to give my children my checkbook and say, just go ahead and spend everything you want, that's not going to turn out well. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. Why? Well, because there's not an unlimited amount in that checkbook for sure. But my kids don't have the maturity yet to, to make those kinds of decisions. You have two daughters and, you know, they probably want, you know, makeup and clothes and all this fun stuff that girls want. I mean, I, I remember that. Our girls are older now. They're almost 23. Boys, you know, they, they want to play sports and they want video games and they, you know, they have all the stuff that they want. And, and if they were just to have an unlimited revenue stream, it's the next best thing. I get the next best toy, the next best iPhone, the next best. It's like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And we all know deep down that that ends badly. It, it's not going to end because we're not meant to, to have things or to, things are not the end of it all. It's a relationship with God. The most important thing we are is, is children of God. When at the mm -hmm. end of the day, it doesn't matter what we do or how we did it. We're children of God. And we're not employees, and we never deserved a thing. We don't deserve the money that we have. Everything is a gift. And so, you know, when, when you really stop and think about it, everything that I have, I mean, if you want to talk about, yeah, we should give 10%, you know, and then some of the, the Protestant churches are real big on that. I have some friends that, that are, are Mormon, you know, that, that they insist it is mandated that you give 10% of your money to the church. Our church doesn't mandate a percentage. But they, they say, hey, you really should be supporting your church if you're able, because this is important. This is your family. You know, you, we take care of one another. And I, I remember there was a time where I was really down and out, and the priest brought over $1,000. And I, I wow. cried. couldn't believe that. It helped us to pay our bills for that little bit of time around Christmas. And I was so grateful that they did that. And I'm sure it was because somebody gave it to the church, you know. And, and so now I try and give to the church. I have certain charities that I, I appreciate that I, I give. You, you were kind of addressing, you know, when we think about money, there are certainly abuses, abuses to money. And, and I think that may be something we can talk about for a few minutes. You know, some people use money in a very, like, powerful way. They, they use it to control. And I... Yes. I can get a little personal with this. My dad was one of those, and, and I love my dad. God rest his soul. He's, he's been gone nine years now from lung cancer. I think growing up, he didn't have a lot of money, and money was a way that he found he could control people. And so, you know, I was in college, and, you know, when, when you're in college, you're kind of a drain on your parents. He was helping yes. me pay for college. And, you know, I, that I remember- $20 bill you mentioned earlier. Yeah. <laughs> you're always exactly. looking for another 20 out of, out of the parents. Uh, it, yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was always cognizant about how I appreciated so much how my dad helped me. Uh, and so I, I was always the one that would take 20 or 21 credit hours, like the maximum amount you could take. And I was working 25 or 30 hours a week at a part-time job. 
you know, doing all this, trying to, I, I told him I was trying to get him his money's worth, you know, because I, other people were taking 13 or 14 credit hours and having an easy schedule. And I was taking all these science classes and, you know, the most I could take and still be full time and not have to pay extra. And, and I remember one time my dad was, was just really frustrated with how much that was costing. And, you know, he sent me this spreadsheet and, and I didn't know this until he sent me the spreadsheet, but he had, he had been kind oh of my. keeping track of how much he had been spending that semester. Like I, I ripped my code and I asked him if he would help me buy another code. I mean, this, this is not like go for beer and pizza. This was like basic right. stuff, yeah. you know, but it, I think at the time it was four or $500 and he was, he was really upset that, that I was, you know, costing him that much. Never mind that I had a four O and I was taking 21 credit hours and I was working part time to pay for my part of my rent and things. Long story short, we had this big blowout over money and didn't speak for many years. You know, oh, but wow. it was this this thing, it was this power trip that and, and and I've I found that sometimes I can be guilty of that too. We view how we view money is very much how we were raised in money. Like you you said, um, you know, you see it as a, a way of controlling things. And I, mm -hmm. you know, if you're if you're gonna do if you want this you're going to behave, you know, if, and, and that's not to say that it's bad to do that, but it's just money can be used in a very controlling way. And some of that is okay, but to some degree it's, it's too much. You know, it gives us an unhealthy view of what we can do for money. We, we kind of grow up thinking we can control lots of people with our wealth. And, and that's not what God wants us to do with our money. Yeah. And another podcast, uh, Dan Laurie was on, him and I both uh, give our kids a set allowance every week, not for chores or anything, but just to manage. And we require them to put a little bit of money in a save jar, a little bit of money in a spend jar, and a little bit of money in a donate jar. So donate, spend, save. And, you know, it just gives them some responsibility. They're still young, but, uh, you know, when we go to the store, hey, dad, can I buy this? I don't know. How much do you have in your spend jar? What are you saving up for? Those type conversations. So they start, well, how much does that cost? You know, but anyway, gives them some construct of we use money for different things. And uh, hopefully we're providing them that idea of first fruits. So they understand that in a bigger way where they're, as I was growing up, I didn't like the concept of first fruits. Somebody else was trying to control what I did with my money and I wanted that control. Right. Right. I recently, I was driving through a, a friend's neighborhood and I saw this little girl that had a lemonade stand as it always has happens. I highly recommend everybody stop at those lemonade stands. Oh yeah. They, you have to, that, that is supporting the local economy in, in a way. That's not <laughs> in, the, in the greatest way. Yes. The greatest way. So I, I stopped at the lemonade stand and I walked up to the little girl. Her mom was sitting right there with her. And I said, how much lemonade do you have? She's like, well, I've got, you know, this much left. It was a two liter bottle. It wasn't even homemade lemonade, but that's okay. <laughs> Uh, but it was a, like most of a two liter bottle left. And I said, okay, I'll make you a deal. Cause this was almost the end of the day. I said, I've got a $20 bill here. How about if I buy all the rest of your lemonade, but I, here's the deal. I want you to keep $10 of this for you. And I want you to give $10 to somebody at church that needs it more than you. And her, her mom just looked at me and, and teared up because, you know, this was to them, it was a lesson on money. Because I, I think one of the most powerful things we can do for money is give it to somebody that needs it more. It puts it in perspective for us because we often think we're the ones that need it the most. 
And there are people right next to us in church, in school, in, in whatever, at the bus stop. I don't care. God is going to put them in your life. And if you got that extra money, he's wanting you to give it away. And it's, it is powerful. It is powerful to give that money away because, one, it releases the, the clutch of money on our soul. And it, it's acknowledging the fact that this is a gift from God. And it's, it's not meant for me. It's meant for others. You know, and, and so yes. this, this was beautiful. And I, I actually followed up with, with all this COVID-19 stuff. You know, they, they hadn't been going to church. But her mom promised me that, that this, the week they go back to church, she was going to give that $10 to somebody that needed it more. And I, I can't tell you the good that that did for my soul. You know, oh, I mean, absolutely. That was $20 for me. To her, that was, that was a million bucks. You know, that... Yeah. And you know, it, yeah, you, you felt that sense of, hey, something happened and, and that gratitude yeah. and made your day probably, yeah. well, not just was the highlight of your day. That's... Absolutely. Potentially the highlight of a six month or a one year. Like, that was a big, big yeah. deal. Yeah. I had a, a buddy of mine and he does that. He has his kids and he's like, you know, has a 20 with him at all times. And whenever they see something and they try to kind of anonymously get this 20 into somebody's hands that looks like they really need it. And they try to observe from a distance so that the person doesn't see who the person in. Yeah. So he's seen people cry and his kids are like, dad, why is this 20 bucks affecting them the way that it is? Quick Kurt Warner story for you. Mm. So Kurt Warner, Super Bowl champion quarterback, him and his family go out to dinner, of course, quite often. And part of the, one of the things they do when they go out to dinner is they look for that family or person or whatever that could use a little something. And they usually try to buy them dinner anonymously. And the week of the Super Bowl, uh, when he was with the Arizona Cardinals, they were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers and they see this family just full of joy, just happy as can be and everything else. And for whatever reason, one of the kids picked that family. And like they all unanimously said, that's the one. Let's, let's bless them today. Let's buy them dinner. Turns out it was one of the defensive linemen on the Pittsburgh Steelers families. <laughs> so the guy that's going to potentially sack Kurt Warner <laughs> yeah. and hurt him. <laughs> and that family found out that it was Kurt's family that bought <laughs> <laughs> all kind of backfired it was funny but uh love your enemies love your enemies. yes yes love your love your enemies but uh i, I like that story from kurt and it was yeah. had that not have happened that uh, example might not have been spread around you know to to look for those and uh have a plan it's kind of neat to have a plan of what you do with money and how to help others and stuff so i have my kids try to keep an eye for opportunities like that so it's pretty neat well you know it, when it comes to power too you know, many of us may have lent money to others, you know, and this was something that I thought about too. I've had opportunities over the years to really help. You know, I, I had a, one friend that she was going to get kicked out of her townhouse because she had some back assessments for the um, homeowners association. Yeah, yeah. There was something and, and legally they could kick her out of her, her townhouse. Wow. And so I gave her some money. And, and I think sometimes we loan money and we just need to let it go. You know, I, I, as I was praying about this, I was re reminiscent of the unforgiving servant, you know, the, the man who goes and he owes thousands of days. Yes. Week. Yes. Oh, this is a great the, story. The guy forgave him and he goes out and he won't forgive this other person who owed him $50 or something. Yeah. And it was just a travesty that this person wouldn't realize how much they had been given or how much they had been forgiven. I think the parable is about forgiveness, but you can apply it to finances as well. When we talk about lending, there, there's just some times where 
we need to let some of the debts go that people owe us because encourage them to pay it forward for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those ways that we we can lord it over people and, and exercise power over them. You owe me, you know, mm-hmm. you owe me money or you owe me a debt or this and Ma- that. Master and servant type. Now it puts something into the relationship that is can be pretty unhealthy. Right. And, well, you know, and I, I have my next door neighbor is a good friend of mine and he's uh, an incredible businessman and he's got, he's got a, a welding company and, you know, has great business savvy, but you know, his policies, he, he chooses not to lend to his friends because it's just harder. You know, it, mm-hmm. it kills good friendships. You know, when you do that, if you put money into it and, and how often have I seen that where, you know, you go into business with a friend and money has a way of changing relationships so you have to be very cautious of that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the other thing that I would say too is, and I always alluded to this, is money I think gives us a false sense of security. There's a passage from Luke chapter 12 that I'll read. It's take heed and beware of all covetedness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. That sounds like fun. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So, you know, we, we sometimes put a lot of trust in our bank accounts. Like, this is going to save us. You know, we have this sense of security. If everything else goes to hell in a handbasket, I've got a 401k or I've got a, you know, security fund or an emergency fund or this and that. I don't want to say that those things are not important. We should be responsible and good stewards of what God gives mm-hmm. us. But... It's the focus on those things instead of God. Who are we really trusting, our bank account or our God? You know, because if, if we're putting something in place of God, there's a word for that. It's called idolatry. Idolatry, absolutely. Yeah, we can absolutely worship money. It's right. very right. easy to do. That I'm sure that's what Thrain, the, the grandfather of Thor and Oakenshield, was doing. He was, you know, he was so enamored with everything that he had that, you know, that was idolatry right there. Uh, and it, it's a sickness. And it's not what God has for us. Yeah, I remember growing up as a kid, and can I get a nickel raise, a dime raise an hour? You know, I'm yeah. climbing the corporate ladder, you know, and then it was, gosh, can I change companies for three grand a year? Whatever the numbers were, but they were so, so important and got in the way of the relationship with God. Uh, speaking from personal experience, like it was, it was not good. Yeah. The other thing too is, uh, you know, as far as abuses of money is the whole concept of debt. I mean, you know, have you for a second, just talk about that. I mean, you know, people, you know, in the financial world that, you know, they come to you and they have $20,000 in credit card debt. I mean, you just watch Dave Ramsey for half an hour and you hear about all the debts. people yeah. are and, Here, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a simple, easy scenario. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. And uh, when I was in college, I got a credit card. And the credit card had a, a limit on it. Uh, one of my other dumb buddies thought it would be a great idea for us to get credit cards together. So we did. And this credit card had, uh, I think maybe a $2,000 limit, if I remember right back in the day. And 
I always kept a good and healthy amount on the credit card. And at the same time with student loans and different things, I'd have that money uh, in my savings account. And I always wanted to never pay that credit card off, you know, and I was pretty much a fan of paying the minimum payments on the credit card or just over so that I could keep a healthy amount of money in the bank account. And I didn't mind at all having thousand or $1,200 on the credit card with the line of $2,000. So I always had some money available on the card and always had enough money to cover the debt in a savings account. So I might've had 1500 in the savings account and owed 1200 on the credit card paying 18% interest. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so Brian, let me ask you a question. That's I've a great this, deal. 18%. Wow. I've got this investment. It's 18% guaranteed and it's triple tax free. So you don't have to pay state, local or federal on it. Are you interested? <laughs> I'll take that any day. <laughs> So what a dumb college kid I was thinking my security was my savings and I, it was okay to have this. And my banker aunt says, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I said, well, I, I need my security. I need my savings account as my security. And she's like, this makes no sense. And I agreed with her. I said, you're correct, but I feel safer this way. <laughs> Had I uh, just consulted my rich aunt and said, can I borrow some money from you at 5% or whatever, but man, was that dumb. And I run into people that make decisions like that all the time because, and they don't listen to the counsel of others. So right. find your savvy financial friends and ask them a few questions and have them look a little bit. Had I, had I paid attention there? Well, you know, they, those credit card companies are right there on um, orientation day trying to get yeah, those yeah, college yeah. freshmen signed up. Because yeah, that was it. Me and, me and my buddy were walking through the quad, and he goes, ah, oh, cool. Yeah. He got a $500 limit, and he goes, let's go to Florida. We got 500 <laughs> bucks. <laughs> right on. Yeah. College I, is fun. Yeah. You know, it's. I think the whole concept with that is it's a bunch of people that didn't really think things through. You know, it's like you, you know, where – you just said, wow, you know, I've got, this is perfect. This is a great setup. I think too, there are certain big ticket items in our, our world that we often don't think things through. They're attractive. It's what the world says we should have, but we don't really figure on how we're supposed to pay for that. You know, like education, you know, education is a prime example. How many of us mortgaged our future with student loans and you, you come out of undergrad with $50,000, $60,000 in student loans and you have no clue what that's going to be like paying that back. I mean, right. that's like $1,200, $1,500 a month and a, mm -hmm. that, that's a huge thing. Or, you know, we've got to have this car, you know, oh, it's a wonderful car. And, and far be it from me. I mean, I, I understand what it's like to have a, there, there's a Ford Mustang Shelby GT350 with my name on it someday. <laughs> I want that car. You know, it's like, a, yes, it's it's a little bit of an yeah, fun yeah. in my life. I like that car, okay? But I, I've tried to talk my wife into it because it's a holy car. It's white with the, the blue racing stripe. So it looks like Mother Teresa's outfit. You know, it's a holy car. And I've told my wife we need it because we want to get to church on time. We don't want to be late to church. So this will help us to drive a little faster to get to church on time. <laughs> the other thing is this is an evangelistic tool, you know, that we're going to, you know, share the gospel with people because, you know, I'll, I'm not a car guy, really. The reason I want this car is to realize because if anybody can drive a stick shift, I'll probably let them drive it. 
And as we're driving, I'll say, hey, you know, what's what's the most important part of this car? And they'll they'll fumble around and say it's the you know V8 526 horsepower straight crank. You know, oh yeah, I'm like no, no, it's not that. When God looks at that car, it's the driver. The driver has infinite worth, not the car. The car is not worth anything really in God's economy. It's you. You're yep. worth everything. You know, and um, and it reminds me of a story too. Of um, just recently, I was I was driving around and I, I came upon these these gentlemen that were collecting money for homeless people, and they were also collecting it for for prostitute recovery to to try oh, sure. and help yeah, yeah, get yeah. prostitutes off the street. And I remember hearing a story about a bishop that was walking down the street one time, and he he saw this this woman who was clearly a prostitute. He was walking with his friend, and he walked up to the prostitute and said, "Hey, how much you charge?" And his buddy was just blown away, like, "Oh, your eminence, please, you know, not now. This is scandalous, you know." And she's like, "Oh, fifty bucks, fifty bucks." He said, mm -mm, "Not enough." And she said, "Oh, did I say fifty? I meant a hundred dollars. That's what I meant. Mm -mm, nope, not enough for you." Oh, did I say a hundred? I meant two hundred. No, no, that's still not enough. You're, and then he proceeds to share the gospel with this woman and tell her about how she was worth the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords dying on a cross for, and she had never heard that before, and she wept because oh. because she she had been selling herself for fifty bucks, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like that that car, you know, I mean. Who cares about the car? You know, the, we, we sometimes have to kind of sort things out. There are things that we need and there are things that we want, you know, and, and sure, you know, it would be nice to have a fancy car, this Mustang or whatever, or, you know, a, an education from, from a name brand school. But in reality, what, what we need is we could go to the community college for two years for free with a lot of this A plus stuff. I mean, there, there are some some deals where you can get two years of community college for free if you have decent grades and you do some community service or something around here anyway. And nobody cares where you went to the first two years of college. You know, you can transfer right. anywhere. You could go to the state school. You could go to you know and get a much better deal on it than to go to this real expensive name brand school that. 15, 20 years from now, nobody's going to really care about except you because you're still paying your student loans. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we, we don't think of what real value we're getting for this. And, and it, it costs a lot of money. We we did financial aid and our daughters really wanted to go to, uh, to Benedictine in Kansas. And when we did the financial aid, they came back with a number and we looked at that number and said, that's not even close to anything we could do. Let's see if they can sharpen their pencil and then do it again. And they came back with a number that was a couple thousand dollars different, but it was nowhere close. So our girls went to school here in town and got a great education and had much less student loan debt. They ran uh, track and cross country. So they, they lived at home that first year, but because they were on the track and cross country team, they traveled a lot. So right. the school paid for them to have hotels and stuff as they're traveling. So uh, my girls even said, it's like we live on campus when we're traveling with the team and we don't, we're not paying for the dorm. Right. Wow. That was, that was great. You know, stuff like that. Or, you know, it's, I, I was walking one morning with a good friend and he was talking about how this area where he lives, there are some houses that are just enormous. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he said the question, I wonder what these people even do that they, they can afford a house like this. And my first thought was somebody's probably working 80 or 100 hours a week just to afford the payments on this thing, and they're not even home to enjoy it. 
Mm -hmm. how, How often do we find ourselves in a situation where we're paying so much for our lifestyle, for memberships, for whatever, and we're not even using them because we're, we're working so hard to try and make the money to pay those things off. You know, wouldn't it be better? Like how much is enough? Like the guy in Mexico, how, wouldn't it be better to live in a, a smaller house and, and be there with your family when it's all said and done? Are we going to wish that we spent more time in the office or are we going to wish that we spent more time with our kids, our family working uh, on things that we love, you know, that, that make, make us or give us meaning to life. Money sometimes can be such a nebulous concept that we find ourselves working for it, and it's not bringing us happiness. With that concept of, I'm going to do this now so that down the road, and eventually I will be where I want to be. I will be happy. I will get the thing I want. I will, I will someday in the future. So we... We, a lot of my buddies, we talk about that and encourage each other to, to be focused on truly what's important. Uh, a lot of us uh, run this thing called the 12-week year, where yeah. we focus for just a small period of time and, and work towards the future. But with that understanding of you put on paper what's important so you don't get caught up in that trap of 80 to 100-hour weeks. And you put family time in there. You put vacation time in there. And you, you yeah. plan for the things that are important first, you right. know. Sunday's the Lord's Day. A lot of people I talk to don't quite get that one. They've got other things they do on Sundays. And um, anyway, I've been really focused on that for about 12 months. About It's been about a year now of setting aside that day and doing things differently on that day, all day, not some of the day, or but the whole day. So earlier we we're talking about money and how that lack of or abundance of and all that. Something I learned over the years is that it's just a tool that's given to us the money's not ours. It never was ours. It's all God's money. And it's our job to be good stewards of it. And when we have an abundance of, as you said, find good causes, donate it. Uh, so a abundance of money in your life can be a problem. And one of the things you should do with it is absolutely help solve problems for others and find the areas to kind of, you know, like you did with the lemonade stand. Yeah. Yeah. That may you have know, changed a family. Maybe so. Maybe so. God, Glory to God. You know, the one last thing I would say, too, as far as these other things, I think we need to look carefully at the promises we make to our children because we can sometimes get ourselves in, into trouble because our kids will look at us and say, you promised me this. Uh, my, my one daughter was very disappointed that she didn't get to go to Benedictine. She really wanted to go there. And it's a great school. I would have loved to have mm-hmm. said to her, it's a good Catholic school but we couldn't afford it, you know? And so, and and growing up, I never promised that I would pay for the children's college, you know, even though I'm a doctor and I knew I was going to be a doctor, you know, we have a bunch of children and there is no way. I mean, I paid for my own school. I worked very hard and I had a skin in the game and I was, like I said, I was taking 21 credit hours and working 30 hours a week at my part-time jobs yeah. when all my buddies on my floor were out drinking on Friday nights and they everything was given to them and they didn't appreciate it. And I, I think I did better as a result because I was more committed to it. I had more ownership of it rather than my parents just jumping in and providing everything. So, you know, it's it's not wrong to want to give your children good things. But when we give them everything they want, I think we do them a huge disservice. We turn them into spoiled brats, and we don't want to do that. Absolutely not. Yeah, we need to deny them. We need to discipline. Right. Absolutely. Because you love them, and, and you want to teach them that money is not the end-all, be-all. There are more important things. 
achievement and, and personal development and who you are is much more important than what's in your bank account. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if God takes care of the sparrows, he's going to take care of our needs. Right. 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 That was, that was one of the gospels this past week. Uh, you know, that, that how much more important are we than sparrows? Yes. So let's uh, let's wrap this up on on the topic of money. We may revisit it again in some of the other segments. But any any kind of final thoughts that you'd like to impart on our our listeners? Well, you know, I, I think the the one and it's it maybe a big thing is what let's talk about poverty. You know, because that's really the antidote here: poverty and being poor. You know, you, you talked about how in your house your your parents were very vocal about, "Hey, we're poor. We're poor," and I think it's important to, there's a way to be poor, regardless of what the number says on your bank account. And it's, it's right there in Matthew chapter five in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I think this one verse, Matthew chapter five, verse three, really hits the essence of the poverty we're looking for. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? That's really the turnkey that unlocks all of the other Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are God's recipe, you know, and then they're called that because they all start with blessed, you know, they're mm-hmm. blessings. And we think about it, money is just one blessing, but, but the real blessing is that we're children of God, like I said. And when we are poor in spirit, the way to understand, and I was always taught this, the way we understand being poor in spirit is we realize that God is our only and greatest possession. So more, more valuable than any gold, any money, any 401k things that we have is that God is our, our everything. He's our, our only possession. And if, if we have God, the rest will, will come into place. It, it gives us our faith. It helps us to rightly order money in our lives so that we're really trusting God and not our bank account. One of the greatest stories I think I've ever heard is, is that of Mother Angelica when she was starting up EWTN. She had negotiated to get this satellite dish sent to Alabama. They had found a place. God told her exactly where this place was going to be. And she negotiated with NBC or one of the networks to get a satellite dish brought down. It was wow. cost $1.5 million to get this thing. <laughs> she had no money, nothing. Okay. And the deal was they were going to have to come up with $600,000 on delivery. The guy that was delivering it was going to get a check. Okay, so they, they're waiting and, you know, here comes the truck down the lane and the guy's there with the thing and she's giving him cookies and she's trying to distract him. So maybe we'll, he'll forget to ask for the check. And of course he says, no, I, I need this or I can't even unload the satellite dish. You know, I need a $600,000 check. And she says, okay, um, I'll be right back. She runs to the chapel and gets all the sisters. Sisters, we got to pray right now. Mother says, pray. They're all down there praying. Lord, 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 we need this money you know, you told me that this was what you wanted. You're going to have to come through. You know, if, if this is really truly what you wanted, do something. So half an hour goes by, nothing. You know, it's not like money's dropping from the roof of the chapel, right? So she's like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to go out and talk to this guy and tell him he's going to have to leave. She's walking. She walks out the chapel door. One of the sisters runs up and says, sister or mother, there's a man on the phone that's insistent he speak with you. She gets on the phone. He says, Mother Angelica, my name is so-and-so, and and, uh, I want you to know I read one of your brochures about what you were doing six months ago, and it totally changed my life and my marriage, and I'm sitting on a yacht in the Caribbean, 
and I wanted to make a donation, would $600,000 be okay? And she says, <laughs> let me check. Yeah, send it over. And they wired, he wired it oh my goodness. in it. He wired it to her bank account and she wrote a check for that thing for the satellite dish on the spot. And, you know, when, when we really are following the Lord and doing his bidding, the money part is the easy part. You know, I, I thought about some of the projects and thought about, you know, what is God calling me to do to help with the poor or to help with the needy? If, if he's really calling us to it, he's going to provide everything that we need. And, and that's the beauty of being poor in the spirit, because we realize everything we have is his. We don't need anything more. He will provide. And if, if it doesn't get provided, he must want us to do something else. And, and how amazing it is to serve God this way. The other things that we need to do in terms of detoxing, tithing. You know, you mentioned tithing. Tithing, absolutely. Uh, you know, giving to that's, a, that's the, a hard one to wrap your head around for a lot of yeah. us. And I struggle with it for years. Still yeah. do. Yeah, but I, I think it also involves just opening our eyes. I One morning, I, I was getting off my work shift, and I had to go to Walmart because there was something that I needed that I didn't have, you know, right? Because I get everything from Walmart these days. And I'm getting out of the car, and this man approaches me for money. And he looked like he was hungry and a little out of sorts, so I asked him if he wanted to go to breakfast. I was going to take him out to breakfast, and he said, no, he didn't want to. And with all these restrictions, I don't think I could have gone to breakfast with him anyway. But as I find out more about him, he had just gotten out of jail. He was from one of the local prisons. He had been yeah. in prison 15 years wow. and got, had gotten out the day before. And they just they give him the clothes on his back and turn him loose. Go back to wherever you came from. Mm -hmm. And here he is in the Walmart parking lot talking to me. And as I talked to him, I got the sense that he had nothing. God put it on my heart. We need to go in and there's some basic needs that this man has. He needed underwear and socks. He needed some pants and shirts, just a couple of outfits. I mean, he's going to interview for a job. So I thought he needs some clothing to interview for a job. He needed some toiletries and a phone, you know. And, and so I think all in all, Dan, I, it was pitiful how little I spent on him. Okay, in my economy, in my world. I had worked the night before, and I think I did an hour or two of work out of the 12-hour shift that I was on, and I slept for six hours. I made more sleeping during that six hours than I spent on him, just to give it perspective. Yeah, yeah. And this guy was looking at me like he had won the lottery. Well, yeah, in his world, he just did. He did. If that doesn't instill a little gratitude in you, you have a problem, because... For me, that was effortless. For him, that was life-changing. You know, so we're walking out of the, the Walmart there in, in Kirkwood, Missouri. And, and I said, listen, I, I don't even remember his name. I'm like, listen, here's the deal. I, I, there is a catch here. I want you someday to pay this forward. And he says, brother, someday when I'm rich, I will pay forward. And I said, huh. I call BS. You see all this stuff in this cart? This is just stuff. This is nothing. You're loved by your family. You have gifts that God has given you, and you're loved by the God of the universe. You're already rich. That's why I was saying, what was the topic here? Quit your beaching. You're already rich. It yeah. was because of this guy. You're already rich, people. You're already rich, dads. And if, if you can just change your focus a little bit, you'll realize it, and you'll start giving from your true wealth. Because our true wealth is not our bank account. It's the grace of God that we've been given. 
we can become vessels. We can become pipelines of grace to these other people. That's true wealth. And that's true happiness. And that's stuff you take with you. You know, the, that guy, you know, you fool. This night, your life will be demanded of you. Well, you know what? Nobody can take that from me. I took Jesus shopping at Walmart. And nobody can take that from me. No, not at all. Yeah. What, what, what? Yeah. You know, mind blown. You know, mind blown. You know, and one last thing that I would just say too about wealth, we've said it before, it's not wrong to be wealthy. But I think if you look at money, let's think of it the way St. Ignatius of Loyola, I'm, I'm kind of an Ignatius nerd. You know, his first principle and foundation, man is created to praise, reverence, and serve God. And by this means to save his soul. Everything else is ordered to that end. So our lives are really in service to God. But he wants us to have a sense of, he called it indifference. We shouldn't want wealth. We shouldn't want poverty. We should want whatever God gives us because that's what he wants for us. But with that being said, and it's a big, big what, to whom much is given, much is expected. For those of us that have been given extra money, don't become like Thrain, the grandfather of Thorin Oakenshield, who was so enamored with his wealth that it, it poisoned him. Because too much wealth is toxic. You've got to give it away. If God gave you a lot, you're supposed to use it to help somebody. Yes. Yes. The more responsibility, it's a whole nother level. So our true worth is based on our relationship and, uh, and belief, in, belief in God and our relationship and growth there. So that's yeah. it. That's everything. So, you know, if, if you're, um, I guess the last thing is what, um, how do we like budget? That, that's the fun thing. My, my wife always says, hey, honey, what should we talk about tonight? I'm like, let's talk about the budget. It's pretty much a conversation killer, you know, because like, oh, that's exactly what we want to talk about. But I, I think what we really need to do is we need to prayerfully sit down. And like you were saying before, make your priorities. What's important? If you want to be really humbled, well, open up your checkbook because you'll really see what's important to you based on what you spend your money on. Or look at your bank statement. What, what do you spend most of your money on? Is it the old adage, you know, this, this uh, I think it was Chesterton was walking down the street with somebody one day and this guy came up and he handed him all his money. And uh, his friend said, you know, he's just going to go spend that all on beer and cigarettes. And Chesterton said, well, I had to give it to him before I spent it all on beer and cigarettes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, what, what are we spending our money on? If it's beer and cigarettes, maybe we need to make some different choices. Maybe God's asking us to make some different choices. You know, we got to, our money is supposed to protect our families. You know, you're, you're the insurance guru. You know, we, we talk about life insurance or disability insurance or long-term care, you know, shout out to Dan Lewis who, you know, who markets all this stuff, but, but it's a way we protect our families. You know, there's, a certain amount that we do need to be responsible towards our families when it comes to money and insurance is one of those things. You know, our tithe we talked about, but I think, you know, taking a minute and taking your bank statement to prayer, who does that anymore? You know, it's, it's usually the Bible or some holy book, but this could be an important source of prayer for us. It's funny you bring that up because that was actually what I always like to end out with a challenge. Guys like challenges. So this one's a tough one, guys, but I, I challenge you. And that was the challenge that I had thought of prior to you even bringing it up. But look at your bank statements, your credit card statements, your wherever your money flows, that's where your intentions are. That's truly what's important to you. Money and time spent 
And that, that's what's important to you. And that's what your kids are going to see as well. So take a look at that and evaluate is, are your priorities in line with where you're spending your time and money? So look at the money side of it this week and see where it goes and uh, see if maybe you need to shift a few things. Then next week, put those things into action. Dan, I can hardly wait to talk about sex and power. You know, I mean, this is this was a good installment on money, but you know, I, as an obstetrician, I, you know, sex is kind of in my wheelhouse. So absolutely. So this will be, uh, this will be fantastic for the next, next one. So yeah, I'm looking about talking, looking <laughs> excited to talk about sex with you being, a, being in the sex, sex business. That's right. I'm, I'm a regular Dr. Ruth Westheimer, you know? <laughs> well, thank you again. And, uh, can't wait for the next time. Thanks, Dad. I appreciate your time. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.